0: Orlando. Orlando. Welcome to the Ozone. Welcome to the Ozone.
1: Welcome to the Ozone. Welcome to the Ozone. The voice of Massive Magic fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Ozone Podcast, the voice of magic fans. In the virtual studio today, we have Justin. Yo, Yo. Al. What's going on? myself, Anthony, and a very special guest. Joining us, Magic Forward Vic Law. What's up? What's up? What's going, What's going on, Vic? On?
0: Thank you for joining us.
1: And yeah, No worries. Thanks for having me. Hey, So uh, obviously everyone's been going through this downtime. Uh, Vic, what are some of the things that you've been doing to keep yourself busy?
2: Man, so at the beginning of, uh, I guess, the lockdown, I had went back to uh, Chicago to be with my family. Just uh, in these times, I guess it's better to be with loved ones while you're um, locked in. So I was at home, and I, you know, just tried to do things to stay in shape. Like I ran around the neighborhood, uh, lifted in my house. But I'm sure, as you all know, or may not know, in Chicago, it's cold all year round until you get really into the four good months. So uh, when I was there, it was around 30 degrees every day. So i uh, <laughs> trying to run back and forth um, and see, you know, the people that were in my pod or, you know, that it was okay to kind of be around. But uh, for the most part, you know, just chilling, trying to make the most of it like everyone
1: else kind of feels like um during this time everyone's forced to be creative with how you know we're either staying in shape or um just trying to maintain um the same same mind frame right especially for a professional right. athlete um what are some of the things that you've have you gotten a chance to watch the the last dance has there been any downtime where you of were kind of, so what, what are some of the things okay. that you you while watching that you really didn't know from before especially you being from chicago
2: I mean, come on, we, especially being from Chicago, you know, like, those Sundays, we always block off the hours to watch it, and it's so funny, my dad watches all of them over, and they always play the, the previous two episodes before, and he always gets just as excited to watch the previous two, but, I mean, I don't know, I had seen, like, a lot of Michael Jordan stuff before The Last Dance and, you know, all of that, um, and I always had a great respect and appreciation for, like, Mike and the things he did and it's it just, um, it's interesting to like see it and it brings so many like good conversation arguments. Like if you were to play with Mike, like how would that have, you know, like how would that have looked? Would you have been able to take it? <laughs> because I, I personally think, you know, Mike is the best um, just because of like his mindset and ability to adapt to whatever. Um, and I don't know, man, like, just seeing like how he kind of brought up Scott Burrell and, and um, Kerr and Pippen is just on a totally different level than I feel like the things you see today, like maybe Kobe was kind of like that, you know, very demanding and harped on his teammates to be that certain level. And I think LeBron to an an extent has it. And probably every superstar has that quality to an extent, but I I think just like when you see the raw uncut version of Jordan doing it, it sets it as, as such a, unprecedented level to everyone else that is now trying to, you know, assimilate that.
3: Now, growing up in Chicago for you, Vic, were you a Jordan fan as you were growing up?
2: Yeah, I was, you know, I always loved watching the old classic, you know, Bulls. And even when I was, you know, coming up, I was a Bulls fan. But it's funny, like, I was always a huge Celtics fan. Like, I loved Rondo, Pierce, and Garnett. But when the Bulls, like, when Derrick Rose was a rookie and they played the Celtics in that you know, round one and it was like such a tight series, you know, my, you know, obviously the Chicago and me came out like I wanted the Bulls and Derrick Rose and Gordon to win it. Well, you know, I wasn't mad, like when the Celtics won. And I think that was the year they won the championship. So, you know, growing up, I have always been a Bulls fan, but uh, secretly like I've always loved the Celtics.
0: What was that like um, to have, you know, to have Derrick Rose, for example, playing for Chicago? Like, what was that for the, what, what did that feel like for the city? Uh,
2: it was, it was, it was interesting. I'll say like, as like a true, like basketball fan, like I had always, I had always liked the Bulls. Like I liked the Bulls when they had Jamal Crawford, Eddie Curry, Tyson Chandler, Marcus Pfizer, You know, when they drafted Kirk Heinrich, you know, I loved the Bulls. Like even when they were bad, you know, whatever. I had always been a Bulls fan. And then growing up watching Derrick Rose play in high school, like, you know, I loved Derrick Rose and the type of things he did at Simeon. And so being like seeing him get drafted over Beasley, Bulls lucky enough to get them, whatever. Um, it was cool to, like, see that transgression. But then it was kind of like the – I feel like the Golden State effect, like, when the Bulls then became good, like, you got all the bandwagoners who don't know anything about, <laughs> like, Bulls. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're just – like, when when we signed Carlos Boozer, like, they were like, oh, we got Carlos Boozer. But it was like, oh, they got LeBron or Melo or yeah. anybody. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and, like, you just had those, like, nonchalant Bulls. Bulls fans that just took over Chicago so like it was kind of like a hard time like really being like now like I'm a true Bulls fan you know what I'm saying like I really do like Rose and Noah like I followed Noah in college like you know what I'm saying like all those players Brewer everybody you know I'm I'm, like a Bulls fan to the T like I'm not just some casual oh man you know D Rose is good like you know whatever
1: (laughs) but it was cool man I thought the transgression was cool. I mean Derrick Rose was the youngest MVP in the history of the NBA so for, oh, man. for him, Come on. you know you gotta tell me that. Yeah, yeah. for <laughs> for him to to represent Chicago, and it's funny that you say that because even here in Orlando, where the, you have so many people from so many different places in the United States, that bandwagon is just one of those things that happens in the city. And there was a lot. Right, remember, right. there was a lot of that. Even some of my friends, they were they're all big Magic <laughs> fans, and then all, all of a sudden they're buying Derrick Rose shoes, rocking Derrick Rose jerseys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just kind
2: of, Let's say they would like the Warriors. Like Curry had been good on the Warriors for a while. Like he draw grow- 50 in Madison Square Garden, and no one was, like, talking about it, then. but then when he gets Clay and Draymond, now he's the next biggest wave. Or uh, Where were all the Curry fans when he was in Davidson, beating Gonzaga, right, then coming out, like, you know what I'm saying, like, coming out of college, like, and carrying the Warriors, and the We Believe teams, like, right, he was right after that. You know what I'm saying, like, where were you at then? Like, I'm not a big fan of, like, people would just jump on late and then trying to, like, you know, accumulate themselves then, like, then they become the biggest fans. Within a span of two months. <laughs> or you're only a fan in the, when they're in the finals. You know, like I know like we'll see like how many Warriors fans there really are after this
0: season. Yeah, that's that, that's a good that's point. true.
1: That's what I'm saying, because before before the Steph Curry, like in between the we believe, like where where were those fans then? You know what I mean? They right. they were all quiet quiet and high. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> even though even though Golden State has a good fan, base. like, yeah, you know, for it's sure. like, like the national Warrior fan, that just, just comes on every now and
1: then. That's what I'm saying. We go to a magic game now, and God forbid, we're playing against the Golden State words and there's so much yellow <laughs> in the arena. Yeah, <laughs> but I gotta you tell you guys, you can't stop no it.
3: Specs. That, but that happens in general because I used to live up north before, and I used to go to New York and games at Madison Square Garden and yeah. in New Jersey, and when Dwight was at his peak with the Magic, you wouldn't believe it, but a lot of the arena was wearing Magic jerseys back in those days. So you see oh, wow. that you see that kind of, you know, happen as superstars develop throughout you know yeah. NBA history. Uh, but, for I sure. mean, we can't wait for Orlando to be back at that level again, for sure. Absolutely. I, heard, I
2: mean, I know I've heard stories, but, you know, everyone said that, you know, Wall Street and Orange Ave were, you know, places to be when the Magic were rolling. So it'll be interesting like, and exciting to see that happening again.
3: Yeah, hopefully the playoffs this offseason, this season right now coming up. Once it resumes, we hope we can see that again. True. So, Vic, I wanted to ask you about your college days again. Obviously, you grew up in Chicago. We Mm -hmm. kind of touched on that already, but let's talk about your decision to go and play at Northwestern University. You know what kind of led to that? Uh, So, kind of run us through that decision process and what that experience was like.
2: Um. Well, when I was, I'm actually originally from Mississippi, and I moved to Chicago like you know, permanently when I was around nine. And uh, my mom went to Mississippi State. And, um, you know, where I'm from, Mississippi is near Starkville. So for a long time, my dream school was Mississippi State, to go there. Um, and as I was getting better in high school and garnering a lot more scholarships, I think um, Rick Stansberry was the coach. Uh, when they were good, they had, like Jarvis Bernardo, um, Riding Hood, uh, was it Renardo Sydney? or something some, like that, you know. And they, I think the team had gotten like a, a series of consecutive fights in practice and players were getting suspended and Stansbury eventually got fired. And so I think when he got fired, like it kind of like moved my shift from Mississippi State and just opened me up like I was being recruited by a whole plethora of people. Um, but what it really boiled down to was, I think my parents, specifically my mom, wanted me to to be somewhere where both academics and basketball were you know, of, of the importance. Mm-hmm. And with North being in the Big Ten, so I would see top tier talent and then getting a good education was very important for her and myself. Um, and I think, uh, like, the day I committed, I think more than ever, like, both of my parents just got really anxious about being able to, like, watch me and see me grow and develop. And with Evanston only being an hour away, like, it seemed like the perfect choice.
1: So before that, I mean, what, what did you really know about Northwestern? What were some of the exposures that you had?
2: Well, so when, when I was uh, around sophomore in Northwestern, sophomore or junior in Northwestern had a coach by the name of uh, Bill Carmody. And uh, Northwestern had always, you know, had always been bad. Like, I think we know the story of Northwestern. Um, they're building now, and Northwestern was a great school. But ac- athletically then, especially talking about basketball, they weren't good. And a lot of kids in Chicago, for whatever reason, just don't stay in Chicago. Like, you know, they just don't like – Illinois schools, they go somewhere else. You see now more so today, like players are going to U of I. But um, you know, then like people weren't saying in Chicago. And so when I was being recruited as a sophomore, was when kind of like I first kind of blew up and started getting so much national attention and scholarship for whatever. And Northwestern came as the picture, and my mom had always had a sweet spot for Northwestern, so she says, you know, let's hear him out, take an unofficial just kind of see the campus and everything, whatever, that gets you acclimated to North um, Northwestern, you know. So we take the unofficial. And I think, like, the whole time I'm there, like, I'd never talked to Carmody once. Like, there are, like, seven other kids there. Like, we all just kind of, like, funnel through the campus. It just seems very impersonal. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, I'm like, well, <laughs> there are schools much bigger than Northwestern, and I'm, like, you know, and one-on-one car rides with the head coach, and, like, you know, I'm seeing the football field and everything. So I'm not gonna go here. Like I'm gonna go somewhere where I want to. So my first impression, no question, wasn't good by any means. Um, it was definitely off my list. Like going into later years of college, but then when Coach Collins came in, he presented a very much like new enthusiasm about basketball, his like rich basketball experience and history. Kind of like you know, I know I like that. I like like how genuine he was. he wasn't really pitching just a we want you like you can just become another number in our grand scheme system it was like you can be the first one to do something that no one's ever done and yeah, we need you here etc uh, etc cetera, et cetera.
1: On uh on YouTube I actually saw the video that um that you were a part of the homage that by far mm-hmm. what an amazing video. Whoever like put that together okay. with the editing it was such an amazing video and what resonated with me the most is something that you said where, you know, Duke wasn't always Duke, Kentucky wasn't always Kentucky, and you wanted to create something with Northwestern. Um now Chris Collins, uh, he played for the University of Duke. Mm-hmm. Um and even culture a little bit. So did you feel as if his experience in, in some of that maybe Duke atmosphere um, was kind of brought into and, and really influenced Northwestern basketball?
2: Uh, well, you know, of course, I think that Duke, whatever, runs deep with whoever, anyone that has gone there. Um, so I'm sure, I am definitely think, you know, he brought in that mental, Um, I don't know the word, but like just that excellence, that standard of excellence that Duke has. And he tried to really instill that culture within us Obviously, some things are going to be different because we're not Duke, or we aren't, you know, we weren't yet. But um, he did try to instill that culture and that mindset of that family kind of atmosphere amongst the players and still the standard that we're going to get work done. So I think to that extent, he did. But from that, like, quote you said, like, Duke was always Duke. It's like in Kentucky, like, I had visits with Harvard and head coach Tommy Amaker. Stanford and Johnny Dawkins. And they both said – because I think they both read Duke at the beginning of, like, Duke becoming Duke. And they were like, you know, when I committed to Duke, it wasn't like a – it wasn't Duke. Like, it was just like a a run-of-the-mill school. Coach K was on the hot seat. You know, we had to turn it around. And you can just see how it's grown into, like, such a a powerhouse. Like, if you look at Duke logistically, like, Duke is a private school. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to get into – the gym is small, like, before all of this, like, I'm sure they didn't have all the bells and whistles then that they had now to really, like, try and entice players to go there. And it's right. hard to get into, like, regardless. So, you know, I'm, it, it, it takes, a, like, a whole process to become good. Like, it's just an overnight thing. Mm-hmm. So, I think, you know, kind of getting that firsthand experience from those coaches and previous players really inspired me, like, to say, hey, man, why not no question then? If you could turn Duke into what it is today, maybe I can be one of the first building blocks in turning Northwestern into a uh, national powerhouse.
0: So I wanted to ask really quick: Did you you wrote that narration right for that video? Yeah. So is writing something that you've been passionate about, or was that just something that you felt spoke to you and you needed to get on paper?
2: (laughs) Man, I don't know. Like from um, the beginning of my uh, college, you know, academic career, I guess I'd always been. Um, a good, good writer and um as I kind of went through college like it just seemed like writing was something I could do like I majored in consulting that major itself had a lot of writing um, throughout it and now you know finishing my master's I guess one of the projects that I just thought about doing later in life especially reading certain NBA players books, like Six Man and the couple of Phil Jackson books like I think I just want like I have like the like a, I don't like an inkling to try and like write something later right. you know like I, I feel like I could do like do something with that like that would just be an interesting pro- project for me um, I don't know if that's like something I want to do as a profession but it's definitely something interesting I think I would want to you know go into
0: yeah I find that really cool because I'm, I'm a writer too so whenever you know you meet another right. one it's always nice to kind of pick your <laughs> brain a little bit um, Absolutely. But could you could you walk us through uh you know what that experience was like to enter the the NBA draft and, um, ultimately, to go undrafted. How did that kind of sure. impact your mentality and did that affect your your desire to still make the NBA?
2: Um, well, yeah, I you know. When I was coming out of college, my college career, I guess, was always marred by injury. And, um, you know, the ups and downs, like we had a good season, we had a bad season. But the one biggest thing was that I got injured a lot. But my mindset and Almost everything that I do is just you tough it out, like you thug, you know thug it out. You you get through it. And yeah. in a lot of ways, that might have hurt me in my college career because when I should have sat out one or two games and I just played through it, I ended up sitting out you know five or six. And from an NBA perspective, you don't see that. You, know, you just see the the you know, kids sitting out. And so my senior year, you know, I was doing very very well, I was on certain draft boards, whatever, and I got hurt, and I I you know I pl- decided to play through it because I thought my team needed me. And during that stretch of me just playing through it, my production just took a huge dip. You know, I finished the season strong, but it was during that dip that, you know, people started becoming weary of me, whatever, whatever. I still was able to sign a good agent, go through the draft process, have a, you know, a good amount of workouts. And I feel like I did very well in the workouts. And, you know, on draft night, it just, you know, it just didn't happen. You know, obviously it was a, a tough day, but like I think that day will always like, be a motivation to me because, you know, I really do truly believe and know that I can play at this level.
0: Right.
2: Um, just, and then, you know, just going to the G League, like it was just like a, a period where you kind of reevaluate, you know, it's like a, a gut check. And it's either like, are you going to, you're going to either do this or you're not. And I would say my one true like skill, regardless of talent, you know, speed, shooting, ability, ball boiling, whatever. I'm competitive as hell like whatever I'm doing I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and just seeing like draft night and then going to the G League and playing some of the guys that got drafted like that was just mm-hmm. enough for me to say like oh well I'm going to the NBA because you're there and I played you in college and I don't know what they saw but I'm getting there
0: too. <laughs> Right.
3: That's awesome. Now, well, that as you're going through the draft, again, of course, again, you ended up ultimately being undrafted, but very quickly, as a Magic fan, we're, we're looking at the news the next day, see who we're picking up as a free right. agent. And right away, your name came up, I think the next morning. I, I caught onto that. I started researching your name and found out all about your career in college. But how quickly after the draft or throughout the draft process did the Magic show interest? And ultimately, they called you to sign you to a, uh, to a contract.
2: Well, it's, <laughs> it's really funny. Like, I had might have had nine workouts, like, back to – almost, like, back to back. Like, you're going from Utah to New Orleans to New York. And, then like, you know, you're going city to city, like, doing these workouts, like, in such a small time period. And it's, it's not, like – it's hard for sure, but it's, like, a time period in your life that you're – like, you know, so many people don't get to experience this. Like, you're going city to city that you might not have never been to, into these luxurious, like, facilities. And you get to see the players and, like, the coaches and, you know – you're almost like right there at your dream. And uh, <laughs> I get to Orlando like this. This is like my fifth back to back and I still have you know a couple more to go. And I'm tired, but the the magic kind of have me in like a like a like a garden wing kind of like workout. I like guess like four point guards and then like oh I'm I'm one of two wings. And uh I personally thought it was my worst workout that I had had. And so leaving the like I thought I didn't do well. You know, they talked to me after, you know, saying, you know, they like me or whatever. But, you know, I'm getting back on the plane going to um, Golden State, actually. And I'm like, man, I guess the Orlando Magic are out of the picture, you know. <laughs> it's like, that was a job interview I didn't do. So, I guess that's just not – they're just not – I'm just not going to be a Magic player. And uh, it's funny, like, after the draft ended, the Magic are one of the first people to call me and my agent you know showing it like you know a lot of interest and saying we want you and want you to be in our kind of like our farm system because we think you can do it you just need a little like tweaks here and there so it was like a a pleasant surprise i guess and, and you know i couldn't have been happier to be in lakeland um i thought lakeland with what they do down there was and the culture they have was exactly what i needed just to kind of help the game slow down enough that i i could you know excel And I think that was, like, a a big thing for me, especially going through training camp and seeing it. Like, the talent, I think, is is absolutely there. I was just going too fast and didn't really know, like, the ins and outs of what to expect Mm -hmm. to kind of, like, slow it down for me. Like, I was just going too fast. Things just seemed like they were coming a 1,000 miles an hour. And then, like they give you a good chance to develop and see things step by step. So now when you do get called up, you're getting put in situations, you're better prepared for it. So I thought Lakeland was like, you know, a blessing in disguise that it happened that way. And I thought it just prepared me more than ever to, uh, you know, kind of chase my dreams.
1: I think what makes the G League so interesting is that you have you have players there that really they you guys ball. But everyone yeah. everyone's hungry, like everyone's trying to get that job. Everyone's trying to get that for call sure. up. So how how is that process like playing for Lakeland and and the process of, you know, getting a call up? and the transportation that you guys are going through.
2: Right. Well, I think that's, like, one of the big things people just forget about is, like, it's ex-NBA players, it's highly touted, you know, prospects. All that are in the G League. Like, I think the G League, if you put it up against, like, an international scale, it's, like, one of the top leagues in the world. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I know Spain has their league, Germany, Turkey, Russia, China. But I think, like, if you really put them, like, you know, stack them up, but the D-League is in there, in the mix, as one of the top leagues in the world. You may not get paid as much as you do over there, but it's definitely one of the top leagues. So, like, playing against that talent and then succeeding and excelling is something that, in its own right, is, like, definitely an accomplishment. Um, when I got the call-up, actually, my the first day I got called up was the day Kobe died. So, it was just like such an interesting experience, like, to, you know, have all that rush of emotion Kind of go through the whole thing. Like I was in, so this is just like an example of the transportation. We we're in Greensboro playing a G League game. Let's say it was a Friday, um, Friday night game. And, you know, the general manager of Lakeland gets a call saying the Atlanta Magic want to call me up for Saturday because they play the Clippers. So Saturday morning, at like 6 a.m., I leave, go to the airport um, in Char- Charlotte, I think, fly out. I- because the flight was like booked, you know, so last minute, I gotta go to New Jersey to fly back down to Orlando. So I'll land in I landed in New Jersey at like eight thirty. Flight got delayed in Charlotte. The flight to Orlando is at nine. I get off the plane at like eight forty, and it just so happens my flight the gate is like on the opposite side of the New Jersey airport. So we gotta run through the airport. We're like the last people on the plane. You know, just happy to be on it. Just having to like you know, this is the first day of something bigger. Get to Orlando, they lost all my bags, so that was another, like, obstacle. Oh, so, I got to call the Magic and say, you know, I uh, <laughs> I don't have anything. So, like, you know, I, well, this is going to be an interesting day because I don't have anything except my book bag and my shoes. So, you know, whatever else, I guess I'm just, we're just going to figure it out. So, I, I get to Orlando at, like, 11 shoot around at noon. So, I'm going straight to shoot-around. And I get in, you know, I'm super excited to see everybody. i super excited to just say, what's up? High five, guys, you know. happy to see him again since preseason or whatever and everyone's kind of like walking around like a zombie in the gym and I'm like what's what's going on everybody like this is it's game day everyone should be pumped up and it was just like Kobe died you know my first impression was like this is a you you gotta be joking like that obviously that can't happen and uh the coach Clipper came in it was just like nah yeah Kobe has passed we got word from our performance you know whatever whatever and so it was just like a a dark cloud over the whole day. Like it just seemed like it was like a, such a milestone, but it was also such like a, a tragedy that had just happened. So my first day was definitely interesting on the job. Wow.
3: That is definitely a day you will not forget. I mean, not only obviously <laughs> yeah. the Kobe news, but the whole tra- trajectory to get to that point. Yeah. Uh, but what about the, the, the opposite of that? So what about as a rookie for you? You've gone through a lot, right? So going on mm-hmm. draft, day, going to Lakeland, getting a two-way contract. You don't see that too often, mm-hmm. you know, in players these days. Yeah. But then what are your favorite memories so far as a rookie? So, again, whether it's Lakeland or with the Magic, what has been that moment for you that you're like, hey, I will never forget that? So, favorite moments for you so far?
2: Um, I think to be on Lakeland, like, the camaraderie we had in Lakeland, like, and the chemistry we had was great. So, I just will never forget my experience down there first and foremost. I think uh, the first ever, like, game winner I had ever made was in Lakeland against the Knicks. And so that game was just, like, a huge milestone. Like, we had been losing the whole game. Um, I started, like, heating up in the second half, kind of, like, cut it close. I think we were down one, or the game was tied with, like, three seconds left. And the play was for me. I couldn't originally get open, so Asani threw it to Kaiser. And, you know, I, I don't even know, like, instinctively, I was just following the ball. And, uh, you know, I'm glad he had socially passed it to me. Uh, and I made, like, my first <laughs> – game winner like it wasn't my first buzzer beater, but like the first time i actually won a game and i think i was just so excited i just ran up the court and just ran straight into the tunnel and uh obviously it was like pure excitement and like we were partying in the that's locker room cool. but that was that's like a memory i'll never forget like even if i'm able to succeed in the nba or go wherever like i think i'll always remember that game that's
0: pretty cool uh so being that you are on a two-way contract um and you're not with the with orlando magic 100 percent of the time how would you say that impacts your relationship with the players and the coaching staff, and how does that translate back to lakeland?
2: Obviously, there's like a disconnect right where, where if you're not you know fully committed to one team, you're not with them throughout everything, so you're not going to experience all the highs and lows you know of being with them like you're not going to get all the you know camaraderie, but luckily for me, the Orlando Magic are such a young like team, and their core is like so young that it's easy to like connect and get it like relate to the players, so you know I've been fortunate enough to like you know befriend Markel, James Ennis, Kim, Gary Clark, Aaron. Uh, it, they're they're all cool guys. Like so, it wasn't hard for me to like you know make those friendships and relationships. Um, with the guys, like they're all down to earth and all seem like pretty willing to try and help where they can for rookies. So it, it's been cool. And then like having BJ as well as uh you know two-way and him being a two-way before me he kind of was able to give me like certain ins and outs of like you know going back and forth what to expect so it helped along the way
1: now with with that being said um do you feel like it it takes time because obviously through lakeland um they do their best to kind of mimic the the same plays in Orlando so that you know when there is a call up you kinda already know exactly you, right. where you're positioned at the plays the the whole nine. Um do you feel like playing on yeah. the court it also allows it to be an easier transition in that aspect?
2: Oh kinda kinda I the two way, you know especially in my experience you um I would say the biggest adjustment isn't plays. Like you know I, I feel like I'm smart enough to like if you just taught me a play in a day, you know I, I can remember that as well as the other players. The biggest adjustment is, like, going from being the man to then, like, having to, like, wait. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not a part of the core group. And I think that's, like, the biggest adjustment, especially in college. Like, I think a lot of young players need to realize, like, unless you're a top five pick or lottery, I guess, you're not going into a situation being the alpha dog. And you might be in college, and you might be the guy and get all the perks and whatever, the respect, the accountability and all of that. When you go to an NBA team, it's almost like becoming a freshman again. You're at the bottom of the totem pole. You have to learn, you know what I'm saying, going up. So being um, in the G League, I, I learned very quickly. My learning curve wasn't that big. I was able to, you know, amass a good level of production and, and become one of the key guys. But then going to Orlando, kind of having to sit and just learn and soak it in, And you know, that's fine. Like, you know, I think I still need a lot to learn, and I'm, I'm eager to take all the information I can. But being, going down from, like, the G League and scoring 30 points then getting called up the next day and sitting for 39 minutes and then playing the last minute, it's just such a stark difference. You know what I'm saying? So it's just it's the biggest difference I would be is just staying mentally sharp and mentally prepared for whatever comes next. And for a lot of times, like, young guys, it's hard to, like, keep that mindset all the time. But, you know, I'm learning, you know, as I go, and I think, you know, I've gotten much better at it.
0: Going from, like you said, being the man, right, and then playing a pretty significant role um, in the G League and then going to the NBA and Mm -hmm. like you said, waiting and kind of waiting for your moment. Does that impact your intensity level? Does that, how does that impact how you, how you kind of manage yourself and your energy?
2: Nah, like, like I said, I'm very competitive and fiery. So, you know, I'm itching to get out there and be able to do what I can do. It just takes some time to like find your footing and find like how you succeed in that new role. Like, and so, for me, for a while, like, and this is just, like, really, like, going into it. Like, for me, a while, like, I thought my um, kind of, like, satisfaction of, like, being in the NBA was to score. Like, it was just, like, I needed to score my first points. I have to, like, that was my validation for, like, getting called. Like, I got to get out there and get a bucket. And, you know, it didn't happen, but that wasn't, I think, necessarily, like, that wasn't what, I needed to do to succeed. Like, I think the more pressure I put on myself just to score, the harder it became to finally do that. And I think, like, going into that new role, like, the only thing I needed to worry about was just learning and Mm -hmm. soaking up the advantages I had of being on that stage. Because there's so many people who would kill to, like, just be the 15th man, the 14th man or whatever on the NBA team. So being able to do that. And for a while, I think, like, like, I didn't play in the G League for, like, a month. Like, I was just up with the magic. Like, I just had just for a time. And I think, you know, even, yeah, like, the back half of the season, I had just transitioned into the magic. So I had really started to, like, assimilate to the culture, you know, hang with the guys, whatever. And it, it was just more about me just soaking it up as a sponge and just learning. So then when it really does matter and I have to be called on and ready, like, whether it be in practice, a scrimmage, or a game, and I have to do something significant, then I'm ready and I have all the tools that I've learned to finally utilize them in the game.
1: Do you feel as if your experience that you've had, so for example, that month long that you had with the magic when you're, when you're kind of transition back into Lakeland, do you feel like that's just an added experience that kind of makes the game yeah, in the G league just that much easier?
2: Absolutely. Like, like in practice, you're not going to like guard Aaron Gordon and then, you know, have the ball and like get, have the freedom to attack him and then go down to the G league and not say like, you know what I'm saying? If I could play against him, like I can't play against you, right? Like, I don't like my my mindset. Just I don't know. It comes back to me being competitive. Like my mindset has always been like that. Like when I was in Chicago, and I would play in the open runs and do all the stuff with the pros, and I would score. You know what I'm saying? Like if I was like, oh, if 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 I can score on you, what if this next guy can't do shit with me? Then like you know, <laughs> you can't you just use Ken Garvin. There's nothing you're gonna be able to do. So when I first finally got my footing up there and was able to like get comfortable. Then I knew oh, all like, well, this is it. like I, I found it now. You know, like something has clicked. So now I I just know like I'm gonna score 20 points regardless, of who's guarding me, in the G League and whatever situation. If like I'm right, you know, and I'm, I have it like going like there's nothing that's gonna
1: stop me. Yeah, it's kind of like um, I, I, it's kind of like when I think about it, you're throwing a football, right? And you can throw a regular, but then you go to the gym real quick, mm-hmm. do a couple of push-ups, do some, do some curls. You throw that same football, you're going to be able to throw it like a mile farther. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, uh, Vic, Vic, we're going to jump into um, our next section that we, we call In the Ozone with Vic Law. Pretty simple. We're going to ask you some okay. questions, and you, you only have a couple seconds to be able to answer. So it's going to be Got kind it. of uh, rapid fire. So obviously, you being from, from Chicago, you've kind of experienced Florida. Um, are you more into lakes or are you more into beaches? Beaches, 100%. Jordan, Kobe, or LeBron. Jordan. Shot time.
0: Flying to a game. Who are you sitting next to on the plane?
1: Flying to a game. Gary Clark. So one player in the G League, outside of yourself, who you think right now has no business in the G League that should be in should be on the NBA roster with you?
2: Well, all twelve other Lakeland players. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, I love my teammates, like so all of them. But I thought um, PJ Dozier was a. Uh, Really hard to guard in the um, G League. Like, I think of myself as a very good defender, and we played them in uh, Vegas. Like I thought he was like super talented, and like you know I thought he deserved, you know, his chance in the NBA. Like he seemed like a player that had just figured it out. Like he was or had already been in G League the year. Um, he seemed like a guy that I thought could have been there. And also I thought DJ Johnson um, is ready to make that next step with hopefully it's with Orlando or with whoever it is that. I think he's ready to have his moment as well.
3: Awesome. One more question here for you: One player who you resemble your game after?
2: Robert Covington. Mm.
3: Yeah, that's a good that's comparison. A good compar- yeah, that's yeah. a really good comparison. Like
2: you know, I, I obviously, could, I always could give you like Giannis. Like, I <laughs> realize, like saying, like, yeah, I want to be like Giannis, right? But I'm not six eleven and have a plus five wingspan. But I think like you know, and Covington Rob is from Chicago too, so like I think like he, we have like a lot similar like mentalities and mindsets. But, like, I think that in the NBA, like, you know, as I develop, I think I could be a really uh, good 3-and-D guy that also has the ability to bring the ball up and, uh, you know, be a de facto ball handler if need be. Um, But, yeah, like Robert Covington, I thought, you know, his path is, like, similar to mine. Like, it wasn't easy for him to first initially get into the league, but then once he had his foot in the door, you know, he never, you know, let it go.
0: So So I know you you spoke about kind of – you know, your commitment, and how you look at challenges and how you approach the game in that sense. Um, are you somebody who impacts your teammates more so through, like, conversation or actions on the court? Like, are you one of those guys that shows how you should play and, and, and comport yourself, or do you talk about it? Both.
2: Like, I think, obviously, like, you know, going back to the last dance, like, I think uh, what's something that was so powerful was Jordan saying he never asked his teammates to do something that he wasn't doing. So I think um, as a leader like you both have to both like speak and communicate effectively and learn what it means to like talk to each individual person the best, like how they, you know, function the best. But also you have to be able to like back that up, right? Like you can't tell somebody about your dog ass defense and then you get scored on like 10 times. Like that's, it doesn't work like that. Like you have to be able to back up what you're saying and be able to hold yourself accountable the same way you're holding others.
1: Accountable. Man, Vic, thank you so much for joining us. Man, we feel like we we got to know you so much more. We we definitely respect um, all the hard work that you're putting in. Being a two way player is, isn't isn't easy by any means, but man, we're we're rooting for you for sure. And and uh, that's appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah,
2: I got a question for you guys. If you guys had to make oh. your Mount Rushmore of basketball, so four players who would be on all time? Flip man, man,
1: man. Um, yeah, I could go first what, I need time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I honestly, honestly for me, um it is hard not to put the the obvious ones, right? It's hard not to put the and this is this is just due to my my exposure. I would put definitely Michael Jordan up there. I would put okay. LeBron. I would put Kobe okay. in my fourth one, okay. and, and this is just so I can infuse my own biasness. I'm putting T-Mac up there.
0: Oh, T okay.
1: Mac is T Mac uh, is my guy. He's another dude that I feel like if he was in, in the right position with the right team and didn't get impacted by injuries, I, I think that that's a player that deserves way more respect than, than what he's given. So, are you
2: saying in like the conversation of like the best all the time, like your three would be Mike Kobe and LeBron? Like, I'm not saying in no particular order, but those
1: three. I, me. I would put that because I, I'm only speaking on my my exposure. Like I you have so many people that'll say, Oh, I'll put Magic Johnson up there. I'll put um Kareem Odul Jabbar. I I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that I've watched their games because I've never watched a film of it. I've only yeah. seen the highlights and the documentaries that I've seen. These, these are yeah. players that I've fully had my exposures at, that I've seen play in, and really impact the game. And those yeah. would be the four that I put up there. And yeah. I and between yeah. between the four, I I if put in the right position, the right people around it, I, I would still go with my my dude T Mac.
2: And here, here I, and I, would just, I would just challenge you with this because I always do this, just being double advocate and for argument's sake. If people put Kobe in the top, top tier of, like, players, right, and I, and I love Kobe, like, I'm a huge Kobe fan, but when they do that, they're saying that he was one of the, like, the best player of, in his time. And a lot of people will say Tim Duncan was better than Kobe during, like, the, like those 2,000 years. And if you're going to say Kobe was, was the best, then at what point did LeBron become the best? You know what I'm saying? Because Tim Duncan went two MVPs, five championships, like all in like, like, that, those, five, like you know, those five, six years. The Spurs were by far and away like the best. You know what I'm saying? They were the standard. And Tim Duncan was the best player on those first teams. And like I think people forget how good he was because he, like, he wasn't flashy. Like he wasn't, you know what I'm saying, it's Tim Duncan. Like, you know, no one, like to the extent people like guards more than bigs. For whatever reason, just because I guess you like watching them play better, but if you like in the 2000s, I would argue that Tim Duncan is neck and neck, if not better, or was better than Kobe during that time period. I'm not going to say like the full body of work, but I I would say in like those 2000s, it would have to be. Kobe
1: or Duncan, right? You're 100% right, but I I would say this. Tim Duncan never stole a championship away from me. Kobe did. (laughs) (laughs) Kobe single handedly stole a championship away from me. He did. No, that's true. So, what about you, Al? What are you? Oh, man.
3: So, my first three are the same. So, I got Kobe, MJ, and LeBron. My fourth one, though, as I'm sitting here, man, so many names come to mind, Uh, but I'll throw a little wrinkle in there. I'll say Steph. Steph? Ooh. Oh, wait, 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 yeah. wait, but then again, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Oh, but just, I'm doing like, this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this because like Ant said, <laughs> okay. just my favorite player okay. in the 2000s, you know, I I grew up a Vince Carter fan, as Vince got older, Steph has been the guy I've been watching right. every single game, um, and just the way he re- he changed the game, man, like you gotta, just like MJ did, and LeBron did, you gotta respect the fact that in the 2012 and on, mm-hmm. Steph has changed the NBA to what it is today. And I think for that reason alone, um, you know, so many fans, so many kids are growing up now to believe they can be NBA players because of Steph. So just, just because of that, I feel that he deserves, you know, some recognition Um, and let alone he has three rings and I do believe he'll win a couple more before he retires. Uh, But I mean, of course, there's a lot of players in history, like Ann mentioned in history in the past that deserve to be in that top four, just for me being selfish a little bit, he deserves to be in that, so Steph, in that spot.
2: So, as a point guard, Steph is a top three point guard ever.
3: Ah, uh, if you're gonna put him up there, you gotta ask. Yeah, it, of course. <laughs> I, again, if you're asking me, I think so. So he's better than Magic. Different era, man. Different era. Uh, again, if it was up to me, I'll I would say, say yes.
0: I'll say this: like I, I, I could see why I would say that because Steph single-handedly revolutionized how people play basketball. he absolutely so i think i love
2: Steph too but he actually changed the game of basketball
0: i think for that reason he he should be considered now for my four i know because you caught a little bit for Steph, so i know i'm gonna catch a lot (laughs) of what i'm about to say but um i already i
1: already i (laughs) already know who he's gonna say
0: (laughs) oh yeah i got i got mj okay i got kobe i got shaq okay and my fourth because i think about dominance and i think about Scoring is a big part of that, Carmelo Anthony. People say, <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. People are gonna, people are gonna go crazy. Okay. But Prime Mello, Prime Mello could score on anybody right. from anywhere. Could score at three levels. His defense was always a question mark. Um, but one of the greatest offensive players that I've I've ever witnessed. You put
2: Prime Mello over Prime Brian too, though.
3: That's true. Mello
0: over. Well I think I think
2: the thing is though Mello Mellow the is LeBron in. <laughs> So even if like,
3: you
0: push that in, then you almost have
2: to put LeBron in. So so
0: so Mello, in. so Mello 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 and Bron could share that four spot, but Mello's one of my favorite players of all time. Mello made me love basketball. Um, right. so that's that's I, my pick. I feel so, I feel
1: like I feel like Vic is rolling with with my board. So so that's you, that's uh, what it kinda feels like.
0: Uh, Melo
2: um, did you like Melo on the Knicks or the Nuggets like when did you like Melo
0: um,
1: you better not say Knicks I,
0: I liked him both times but when, when he was on the Knicks I feel like the Knicks kill everybody like it doesn't matter what your skill set is if you're wearing that jersey you know it ain't gonna last too long <laughs> but um, I don't know man Melo has always been one of those guys like I said could score from anywhere I think if he right. if he was less selfish uh, he could have he mm-hmm. could have done something in New York, but he understood that he was the guy and like like I think it was Chauncey that said um, scoring thirty was too too important for Melo. Um, if he would have passed up yeah. a little more, I think he would have been in this conversation for more people. Uh, but his selfishness mm-hmm. kind of led him to you know where he is now. Okay, All right.
2: And my I guess mine would be yeah, and I do agree with Anthony the most because you know, I think mine well, would be Mike. LeBron, Magic,
0: and uh, the I don't board. want to say
2: Kareem because I don't, that's too many Lakers. I don't want to put two Lakers in
0: <laughs>
2: Mike, LeBron, Magic, and uh, I'll say oh, Kareem. Kareem. <laughs> <laughs> I just think you can't like overstate or Bill Russell. I don't think you can overstate like. Like, even though the errors are different, like, what they were able to accomplish in their errors regardless. And that's why I don't like the era conversation because, like, okay, yes, the error is different. But if you take the person in their era and you stack them up against whatever they did in this era,
3: mm-hmm. then you,
2: like, you have your answer. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if, if he was able to win 11 championships in his era, then and and you take that completely out of the way. Don't say if he played in that area or this era. Him in this era and his stats versus this guy in his era. And you just like match them up, then like I, I just feel like it's hard to like argue with numbers, but you know it is what it is. Like I think like I think Steph is like a good one. You know I think like when Steph retires, like he'll be one of the best. He's still he's already one of the best ever. It's yeah. it, it's surprising to me that no one said Durant.
3: Wow. <laughs> I think KD unfortunately has he has changed the person that he is and I think that's impacted people's views of him Um, I mean like again I'm a Steph fan and him deciding to leave leave the Warriors to go to the Nets I did not understand that mindset at all from a a career perspective and what the dynasty could have been if he says hey I'm going to stay with the Golden State Warriors five more years he could have become you know next to that MJ level of saying hey I'm going to end up my career with five six rings we ran the entire 2010 dynasty period right so he's made some moves that unfortunately have changed people's ideas of who he is as a, as a person. Well, I, mean, I think he's just
2: like almost similar as his teammate now, Kyrie. Yeah. Like Kyrie could have stayed in Cleveland. Yep. And, I, and who knows if LeBron would have stayed or not if he had stayed, but he could have stayed in Cleveland, and they would have won the East every year.
0: Yep. One hundred percent.
2: So it's like you know, it's it's funny that they're on the same team, because like you know both of their I feel like, and I'm sure they're they're good guys or whatever, but both in the media both of their images have become like this like selfish bad teammate kind of thing. And, you know, that may or may not be true, but like, just because they left, you know, like you said, the, the, the ideal image of winning because they wanted to chase their own like path. They've now been, you know, victimized or villainized as bad teammates and character issue guys.
3: Yeah.
1: Good analysis. You know how in the beginning of the episode, in the beginning of the episode, we were talking about how, you know, you go to a Magic game and you'll see a bunch of yellow for the yeah. the Golden State Warriors. I was that guy rocking a San Francisco t-shirt. Underneath that, is that is me. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, well, that like, is you, me. That is me. Your
3: favorite is with it. like, it's, it's, I watch, it's rough. Like, I, I'm not kidding. I went to away my first few years moving we to Orlando, man, and it was rough. Like, my wife and I looked at each other like, we wore Magic gear all year. But for this Warriors game, what are we doing? Do, do we wear the yeah. Curry? <laughs> and I'll be honest, we alternate. Just to give you the answer, we alternate. Oh, so we'll man. do one year Magic, we'll do one year um, Curry. It's not
2: bad though. Like I'm a diehard Chicago Bears fan, but because I'm so into fantasy football, like I'll love the Bears and just be like, all right, you got to have <laughs> three touchdowns. I, yeah. want them to win. I want the Bears to win, but I got he has to score three times. So I understand the dual fantasy. So <laughs> on. Yeah,
1: yo. Yo, Vic, I appreciate you so much for coming on and, and joining us. This was Man, a lot of fun. You. Um, and that's, right, that's guys, a wrap I for us. It. Quarantine with Vic Law. Peace.
0: Thank you for listening to the Ozone Podcast, the voice of magic fans.
1: Be sure to visit our website, theozonepod.com. And remember to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.